Welcome to Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. As much as your health and well-being are important, so is the health and well-being of your pet. Join us today as we break down some of the top treatment and wellness programs that you need to know about in order to help your pet live a fulfilling and healthy life. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mondrian Contreras. Welcome to Healthy Tales, where we discuss current animal-related news, interview experts in specific areas of veterinary medicine, and discuss product information for pet owners in our Product of the Week segment. I'm your host, Dr. Mondrian Contreras, and with me again today are my three amazing co-hosts, Dr. Elaine McCarthy, veterinary technician, Tim Hayes, and Dr. Kyle Morano. Thanks for joining me, guys. Good morning. Good morning. We have another great show for our listeners. Today, we get to talk to our expert guest, Dr. Elise Sarabasi, who will be here to talk all about choosing the right pet. After that, I'll share my choice product of the week and how it can help our furry friends live better lives. We are so happy to have all our listeners here with us today and downloading the podcast version of our show. We are so grateful for your continued support, and we love sharing our thoughts, expertise with you each week. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, questions, or topic ideas, please reach out and share. We love your feedback. You are welcome and encouraged to email me anytime at vetbrospeteducationcf at gmail.com. Let's start with animal news this morning in our segment, The World Meows. Just like, you know, like the world news. I know, McCarthy, you were upset with me last week. So, again, I, I, went, I try to go back to the feline-friendly segue, okay? The world news. <laughs> All right, Lay, what do you got for us today? All right. So, my article was about fireworks. Um, so, you know, we, we love them this time of year. They're fun and pretty, but a lot of pet owners love to hate them. Um, a lot of animals are frightened by fireworks, and they estimate that about 45% of dogs so, show signs of fear when they hear fireworks. Um, they speculate that because animals have a heightened sense of hearing, not only will fireworks be louder for them, but they could even cause pain. Dogs and cats are not the only animals affected. Livestock, rabbits, and other animals can also get frightened and even injure themselves while, while trying to escape the, the noise. Um, they recommend taking them for a walk prior to nightfall if you expect fireworks that night um, to make them more tired, and then you can keep them indoors for the rest of the night. Um, you can close your doors, windows, curtains to help muffle the sounds of fireworks and make sure your pet is microchipped in case they get, get out and run away. Um, this is the time of year that we get lots of calls for sedatives for pets due to thunderstorms, fireworks. So it's, so it's a fun time at the vet clinics <laughs> for, for yes, these sorts of situations. Um, but yeah, it's unfortunate that, so it's not just one day a year that people set off fireworks. It is a uh, constant during this time oh, of year so that, that yeah. people will be doing this and <laughs> Pets are, in, it's just pure pandemonium <laughs> for pets all over the city limits. Yeah. Even oh, my cats get scared. They'll hunker down, slink around like they're getting shot at. It's really sad. <laughs> it's really rough. It's very yeah. rough. Now, so that article, again, began with, uh, again, talking about dogs. I, I had a little questionable with the dogs having a heart attack and the eyes popping out. I was oh, like, yes. Mm, I'm not going to be insensitive. <laughs> okay. But I'm like, really? Okay. So again, this week, you're absolutely right. I mean, like before the 4th of July, I seriously, this is like basically half of all my calls that I'm talking to with owners about fireworks. And again, it's just, again, it definitely consumes so much of our week this week. Um, and so I do like the idea definitely of taking your pets for walks before all this occurs, uh, you know, basically getting some exercise and hopefully, um, them to use the bathroom because once those fireworks go off again these pets are not going anywhere and so uh yeah it's definitely best best to take care of this and one other thing i definitely think is basically 
guys, please get your pets microchipped because it's always one of those things that these dogs get loose during this time. They just get so frightened. And so it's good to have uh, that type of safety, you know, with your pets so you can hopefully get them back. Holy moly. Um, if they get so scared. All right, Kyle, what do you got for us today? Well, also a very timely article talking about uh, heat stroke in dogs. I'm not sure what the weather is going to be like in uh, your area, but forecast today is for 97 where I am. Uh, yeah. So heat stroke uh, happens, you know, they, t they really give a pretty good summary and kind of a quick and dirty about heat stroke and then risk, risk breeds. And it, it really, it does follow common sense lines. Um, your bigger dogs are going to be more, more risk factor. And then all your smushed face dogs, uh, pugs, Frenchies, um, bulldogs, big fancy medical term is brachycephalic. So it's going to be really short nose. Um, their trachea or windpipe is going to be a lot smaller. So these are dogs who are just at higher risk. Um, and then it really, I think people think about these things, but every now and again, you just get, you, you just get out of, out of practice with it as far as protecting your dog. If your dog's a higher risk one, that's going to be a patient who's older, patient who's overweight, big, thick fur, the smush breeds, just don't put them in risky situations. Um, activity at, at the beginning or at, excuse me, in the middle to uh, early afternoon when it's going to be hottest. The other thing is just to put them in risk factors where they don't have the ability to control themselves. So there's plenty of dogs that will just throw and chase the ball um, until quite literally they get heat stroke and, and, and die. Um, so don't put them in those situations and protect them from, from themselves. I really thought that they did a good job as far as um, even giving people a good, here's what you need to do if you think your dog is in heat stroke. First, really common sense, get them inside, get them calm, offer them water. And then if they really are potentially in heat stroke, what we will do at the emergency clinic when people call in and we think they have heat stroke, the dogs have heat stroke, um, lukewarm, lukewarm water, put it all on them and then a fan. You don't want to cool them too quickly or get them down too, too fast because that'll actually create just as many problems um, that way. So if you think you get, your guy has heat stroke, warm or excuse me, lukewarm water, throw a fan on, get him into the vet, and that's going to be your best bet as far as getting him saved. Absolutely. And so, again, I do like articles like this because I'd like, hopefully, for owners to read and really just remind them, um, you know, again, the effects of heat on their pets. And honestly, I just don't know how many times we have to tell owners about the dangers of heat stroke and that their overweight, you know, bulldog-ish type dogs should not go, you know, go running. I Again, I just, I've had, obviously... I had a case um, just a little while back where the owner was taking his overweight bulldog out for a jog in the middle of the day. And needless to say, this was not compatible, again, with life. And so, again, I just want owners to understand that these dogs really can't breathe. I mean, Kyle, you, you hit it, obviously, the nail on the head here with basically their nose is like, again, they're just more narrow. You know, they're, again, their soft palates are longer than normal. You know, and so they're, you know, I mean, you know, and a lot of times they're overweight and, and thus making basically that whole windpipe area even smaller. And so, um, so no, you don't want these very cute stubby leg dogs to go for jogs. So please don't, because um, obviously again, it's not compatible um, with light life. And so, um, so again, yeah, this is obviously an extremely timely article because it's going to be extremely very warm where we are again today here, um, you know, in Chicago. And so we want to make sure we keep all our, all our pets really, really safe. All right, Tim, what do you got for us today? Uh, I've got an article out of Psychology Today um, questioning whether dogs make men more attractive to women. Um, as a man with three dogs, no. 
No. That's all I got. Effect, was it? <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't stack at least, or there's like a point where you reach too many dogs and start getting negative effects. But um, so the the actual research is sort of interesting. The article itself is questionable. Uh, the the author is a sort of a strange man. Um, so it starts with a story about the guy's young neighbor, and he describes him as like sort of a ladies' man, and it says like he goes out in his leather jacket and his shiny shirts and like. I don't know a lot about fashion, but I don't think that's a thing. Like, I don't think there's young men going out in leather jackets and like satin blouses and being just like, let's, let's go tear it up, man. I, I don't think it happens. I, I could be wrong. Um, he then starts to describe like the, the two types of men in this research. And he, he kind of coins them dads, which is men that, you know, women find attractive because they have, uh, you know, certain features that would make them seem as though they'd be better fathers, better, you know, um, husbands and then what he calls cads which are kind of guys they're more exciting more you know like uh nobody has used the term cad since like hedy lamar like it's very strange to me that there's a man in 2020 referring to men as cads um but i get he wanted the rhyme thing he wanted the dads versus the cats so that's where we're at um so the research takes a bunch of little vignettes and shows them to women and, and each one kind of describes either a cad or a dad. And then the women, you know, respond how attractive they are and, and whether they want to marry them or just have a fling with them. Uh, and what they found is that when they add a dog to each vignette, um, the dads get no uptick in, in attractiveness, but the cads, the exciting, you know, uh, players, whatever, uh, they get a big, you know, attractiveness bonus, um, which it's disappointing to me because it just means the cool guys have like one more trick up their sleeve. Whereas like, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do to up my attractiveness because the, the dog is not going to affect anything. So it just seems unfair. Um, but basically, yeah, that, that's sort of the, the takeaway is um, if you are looking for a one night stand and you're that type of guy, get a dog. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's how you do it. Uh, and then there was another article, a little uh, a small addendum to this, uh, that looked more into, it was a little more granular about what types of dogs you should be getting. And what they found is that for city dwellers, French bulldogs was the way to go. Um, whereas if, you know, you're in the suburbs, uh, rural areas, you want kind of bigger dogs. The women want, you know, expect a sort of a manlier dog. Um, and then fish and reptiles, it, it said, are, are not great. Do not do fish and reptiles, which, again, as a, as a guy who has had fish and reptiles, yeah, no, that checks out. Yeah, yeah women, <laughs> women are not interested in the fish and reptiles. So, yeah. All right, guys. Well, my family is getting a dog, okay? It's been a long time since my champion greyhound uh, passed away, and so, and so we're getting another dog. Um, again, after listening to Tim, I can see, I see a great opportunity here. Okay. Um, to really, you know, get my wife to notice me again some more. Okay. And so here is an opportunity for you guys to tell me what type of dog, okay. Is going to make Dr. Contreras. Okay. Father of four. All right. More again, more attractive to his wife. Okay, guys, what do you guys think? What kind of dog should Dr. Contreras get? The first one that I thought of when you said that was a Chinese crested. No. <laughs> Just like comparatively attractive. <laughs> exactly, right. It's the, it can only boost you. <laughs> All 
all right, all right, I, all right. throwing that one out. Tim, what do you got for me? What do you I, think? I feel like, man, it's been 15 years. Just take the win. Like, she married you. She had kids with you. She wasn't going to be attracted to you forever. Like, that, that was unrealistic. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Yeah. <laughs> it's, but what I will say this, and you're not going to love this, but <laughs> oh, no. the what I can tell you is not the dog to go with is the greyhound. I know you love them, but no woman has ever said to herself, like, you know what I want? I want a man with a dog that looks like Salvador Dali. <laughs> like, that's not, it's, it's just not a good look. All right. Come on, Kyle, Kyle, do you have any, any dog for me? Yeah. You know, what, I, do you, what do you think? All right. I, th- I think steer fully into the skid, buddy. Like, you got, you got a big, beautiful family. Um, you got, you got your, your, your wife. You need a dog that fits in your purse. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Pekingese, right. big guy. Pekingese. <laughs> and so also you're going to need the purse as well. So. <laughs> right. All right. Well, again, uh, I don't know. These dogs are not necessarily reflecting the, uh, you know, I don't know if they're complimenting me. So we're just going to put a pin in this today, guys. Okay. All right. I was thinking more, I was thinking more Ridgeback, you know, like lion tamer kind of thing, you know, and so really, really compliment me. That's, but okay. that's how you see yourself, huh? That's interesting. <laughs> just saying guys. Okay. All right, I'm I'm a dad and a ch- and a Chad or a cad. Right? <laughs> Is it a cat or Chad? I forget. <laughs> all right, so again, okay, we'll we'll see, guys. We'll see. Again, I'll we'll post we'll post whatever dog all right, Doctor Contreras gets, and we'll see if it compliments him or not. Okay, guys. No, I think right. what, you, what you should do is try different dogs and post them all, and let's just see what let's see what the people say. That's true. Wow. That's a good call. That Kyle, is a that's good a call. great call. That's you can a great post, call. post it with Salvador Dali. Post it with your per, <laughs> with your purse dog. I mean, you could even do this with purses. People would be very wow. interested in seeing what purse Doctor Contreras should get. Fanny packs. Oh, <laughs> oh, like a little stroller. You can have a little stroller. One of those dogs. The opportunities right now, guys, are endless, and I think this is a great idea. This is this is a win. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna have the people decide, guys. Okay, all right. That's a great great idea, guys. All right. So uh, lastly today, guys, just wanted to let you know that Augie, okay, is breaking world records. All right, as being the oldest golden retriever at the age of twenty. All right. This is again a, a very cute piece uh, of news that talks about how long pets live. And why, uh, why is it that sharks um, live basically forever? And like some birds and turtles, again, they just live for so long, but dogs do not, okay? Um, they mentioned uh, that domesticated animals, again, they live, they live much longer um, than, their, <clears throat> than their, wild, um, their wild animal counterparts. Again, a point that I always like to, to mention to owners about, again, for various reasons, <clears throat> like raw food diets, okay? And thus, um, we know that nutrition, Treatment of disease and you know preventing disease play a huge role uh, in that. But still, you know why such a short life for pets? You know, and so <clears throat> they discuss. <clears throat> sorry, I got to clear my throat, guys. They discuss the natural process of D, you know, DNA methylation. Uh, DNA methylation is the epigenetic mechanism that occurs by the addition of a methyl group uh, to DNA, often modifying the function, you know, of genes. Uh, <clears throat> it can serve as a sign of aging because the rate of methylation tends to increase with age. And so, um, so the, the professor, Trey Eidecker, I think his name is, um, says basically, we need to look at the right markers to help us evaluate and compare the process of methylation to discern species age. But even, even with this information, it doesn't tell us you know, if it's a cause or an effect of aging. So 
if we can figure out why methylation happens, then we might be able uh, to help slow down, you know, this process possibly. So I, again, I just thought it was extremely, I'm extremely biased because again, I just, I have for some, you know, we have so many elderly patients at my hospital and I, you know, I see, and I just assume that so many pets are living longer because again, just, just based upon nutrition and veterinary care and they are, um, but I always feel that these pets should still be able to live like much longer um, than this. So I'm extremely excited about this type um, of research and I hope uh, I'm alive to long, long enough to know like if this is playing a role uh, in how our pets basically are aging, if, if this can help them basically live longer as well as humans. So uh, again, I thought that was an extremely, extremely cool piece on hopefully helping our pets live longer. All right. Did you, did you guys catch that humble brag? Hey, at my hospital, we have many, many other patients because I am the best doctor in the world with yeah. my purse dog. You know, it, it's just it's just a fat Kyle, okay? You know, we're just we're just telling how it is, all right? So, no, but, it is a question that's sort of been rattling around in my head on and off for a couple of years now. Which, like, you know, there's a lot of like established ideas about like this breed lasts this long, this breed survives this long, and I feel like we do see a lot of dogs that live past what they you know so they're supposed to um and i really do wonder how frequently i guess that that common knowledge of, of how long breeds last is updated um i wonder you know are we going off of some study from like the 80s when we say that great danes last nine years um because i just feel like yeah we, we really do see uh, a lot of uh, dogs making it past what what we'd expect um and, and I wonder, yeah, if that's uh, reflected. No, we are, Tim. You're exactly right. I mean, we are seeing so many of these pets live longer, you know, and I'm just like, you know, again, we are, um, again, we are seeing, and again, you know, nutrition, obviously, again, these, these pets are not running around with obviously worms in them all the times, and they're not having all these other diseases that we can treat and cure, um, which is awesome. It's just that, my goodness, you know, I mean, like sharks, uh, again, and, and maybe there is more of a simple, simpler explanation, but like, Sharks live forever, okay? Like some of these pets, not, not all of them, but like some of these animals just live for such a long time, you know? And it's just like, well, is it that they're bigger and that they're, you know, whatever their metabolism, but it doesn't, it doesn't always fit because there are certain like birds, you know, that will also live significantly longer, you know, but so these large breed dogs and our smaller breed dogs even live longer than most of our large breed dogs. So again, it just, there isn't like, you know, an exact fit as to why these pets, again, typically only live longer, live as long as they do. And so again, I just hope this research continues because um, I really want our pets to live a lot longer, you know, and so just because we just feel like we just have such a short time with them. And so uh, we try to take the best care we can so they live as long as they can, but I want them to live longer. So, all right. All right, guys, thank, thanks for keeping us updated uh, on animals in the news, everyone. Uh, when we get back, we'll be talking with Dr. Elise Sarabasi and learning all about how to choose the right pet. So stick around. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Vet Bros Pet Education Charitable Fund is a 501c3 organization created by Dr. Mondrian Contreras. Dr. Contreras had twin boys early in his vet school education. He often had to study with his children, which led to their love for animals and desire to help educate others about pets. The Vet Bros Pet Education Charitable Fund stems from this love of animals and education. 
The VetBros Pet Education Charitable Fund's mission is to help educate children and young adults about how to best care for their pets and to help them fulfill their dreams of becoming veterinarians, animal advocates, and animal healthcare professionals. This organization helps provide scholarship money as well as educational seminars to help individuals realize their dreams. The VetPros Pet Education Charitable Fund also provides financial assistance towards health care for pets in families experiencing various hardships such as bankruptcy and unemployment or natural disasters such as flooding, tornado, or fire. Please visit our website, vetbrospeteducation.org, and consider making a donation to our cause. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned in to Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'd love to hear from you on our program today. Please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vetbrospeteducationcf at gmail.com. Now back to Healthy Tales. Birds, reptiles, and pocket pets can be great family additions. There are a variety of reasons for pet owners to want one of these pets. But after they get them, it's not uncommon for them to regret this decision for a few reasons. They didn't know how much work it would be, or they thought it would be more entertaining, or they thought they'd provide more companionship. Choosing a pet can be an extremely difficult decision, and bringing pets into your house can be difficult, especially for first-time pet owners. A combination of bad information from non-pet experts claiming to be pet experts mixed with an unrealistic perception of what they want from their pet relationship can make for a disastrous pet buying experience. Thank goodness you're listening today, though, because my next guest is the best person to talk to about choosing a pet, Dr. Elise Sarabasi. Dr. Elise Sarabasi comes to us with such incredible experiences. She participated in a summer internship at the Brookfield Zoo Hoofstock area, focusing on giraffe care in 1979. She went on to earn her undergraduate degree in biochemistry at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana in 1980, and graduated from the University of Illinois College of Veterinary Medicine in 1984. Dr. Zarabasi practiced at the Troy Veterinary Clinic in Pennsylvania from 1984 to 1988 which was a mixed animal practice where she was able to concentrate on small animal, large animal surgery, and some dairy goat medicine. She married our first Healthy Tales expert guest, Dr. John Sarabasi, a veterinarian from the class of 1984, and they have two daughters, Danielle and Rebecca. In 1988, they opened Garriott North Veterinary Center in Carroll Stream, Illinois a small animal practice which also saw exotic animals and pocket pets. In 1992, they bought and owned the Kellstream Animal Hospital until 2015. Kellstream Animal Hospital continues to focus on surgical, dental, preventative, and medical services for small animal and now exotic pocket pet and avian species. Dr. Elise has also shared veterinary responsibilities for zoo animal residents at Cosley Zoo in Wheaton since 1990. Welcome, Dr. Elise, and thank you for joining us today on Healthy Tales. How are you? I'm doing just great. And yourself? Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here. So, uh, Dr. Elise, where did you grow up? I actually was born in upstate New York in a very rural area, but I pretty much did my growing up in Morton Grove, Illinois, which is a north suburb of Chicago. 
Nice. So is that where you had all those pets growing up then? I did. I did. My dad and mom both, my dad in particular, really liked animals. And so we started, uh, yeah, we started with little guys like frogs and toads and worked our way up the food chain to hamsters and gerbils. And (laughs) we had a a goose at one point in time because my dad thought that would be kind of cool. And um, in the suburb of Chicago, that didn't work out real well. (laughs) So we had a cat and then we worked up on our way up to a couple of dogs. Very cool. And so it was very early on then. Then is that when you wanted to become a veterinarian and that's when you kind of knew? Well, so we always had animals and I always loved playing with them. Um, When I was in middle school, I had a biology teacher who was really passionate about um, uh, dissections. And um, she bred hamsters and that was our hamster pets. And I really, really, really enjoyed that. And I knew that there was something special about working with animals when I talked to her. Very, very cool. So you go, um, so you go to vet school at the University of Illinois. Um, what was that like getting into vet school? And what was your experience, vet school experience like? Yeah, in vet school back in the uh, 80s, we had one out of seven applicants actually was, were uh, accepted. There was only 93 total kids in the class, and I was number 93 of 93. In fact, I didn't get in when everybody else did because the class was full. And so I was actually starting my research project, and somebody came into the lab and said, somebody quit vet school, and they wondered if you still want want a seat. And so um, I managed to squeak in as the last um, person in our class that year. Oh, very nice. Uh, we're glad you did. That is for sure. <laughs> so <laughs> <Me too. laughs> uh, what extra steps that uh, did you take or help you um, become so comfortable with working with exotic pets? Again, it seems like you grew up with them, um, but then really being able to actually you know, practice medicine on them. Did you get a lot of that in school as well? Or yeah, no, back in the day when 1980s, we didn't get any uh, classes whatsoever on exotics at all. They really didn't know very much. Um, Ted Lefebvre, Dr. Lefebvre was just at the cutting edge of his birdie medicine. Um, I knew when I wanted to get into vet school, the first time I tried to get in, I did not get in. And they told me because I didn't have experience with farm animals. So I actually uh, milked cows before school, um, the year before I got into vet school. And uh, I also volunteered as an intern at Brookfield Zoo and worked with the giraffes and some of the critters there and learned an awful lot from the people at the zoo. And I knew that there was just um, a lot of... um, interest in in the different species at that point in time awesome. so yeah. no good deal i mean that is again so important and really just again it just sounds like you've been able to like just you know because so much so much so many of us are scared to see them okay it really just you <laughs> you just feel so um like empowered and comfortable seeing them i think it's awesome you know and so yeah. uh, i really love how in your bio you state you know, humans need uh, to understand animals to be able to help them survive and coexist on earth Again, I absolutely agree, Um, but I was just interested, what inspired you to say these words in your bio? Yeah, so my husband, who is also a veterinarian, and back in the 90s, he decided to change gears a little bit and um, uh, pursued an advanced degree in veterinary behavior. And uh, he always talks about the idea that uh, animals communicate differently than people do, both with themselves and and between species. And it's just really interesting to be able to communicate with animals in a different way with their body language, because if you are able to do that, 
then it's so much more enjoyable to have the pet or to enjoy the animals, be mm -hmm. they racing animals, be they cows, be they hamsters, gerbils, dogs, or cats. Um, if we understand how to communicate with them, which includes knowing when they're healthy or knowing when they're happy, um, that, that everybody enjoys life more. The, the, the dogs and cats will last longer, the pets will last longer, and we get more enjoyment out of it. I love it. Good deal. Yeah. Uh, you've had uh, many pets uh, in your mm -hmm. adult life, uh, but let's choose one again to talk about, okay? Uh, mm -hmm. How did you choose our little buddy, Jean-Paul, who we love, who is one of our uh, just amazing mascots at Carroll Stream Animal <laughs> Hospital, okay? Uh, just what did you, How did you go about choosing that uh, little guy to be our mascot for so many yeah, years? Yeah, actually, it goes back a couple of lizards before that. We had... Um, a uh, lady who abandoned a little teeny tiny iguana back in the early 80s. It was a big fad that everybody wanted to own green iguanas. Mm. And so she abandoned it. And we had that one for probably six or seven months until it passed away. And then I went on to obtain a, a little guy called a Schneider skink. Coolest little creature ever. I loved it. It was just great. We had it for about nine years. Um, also a mascot for the clinic at the time. And when it died, um, we had gone, we had, I had participated in the Chicago Herp Society has a herpetologic show every year. And we, we actually found out about the Schneider skink that way. And I also had gone to the herp show when the Schneider skink passed away and um, had looked into something the same size. And I wanted something for the clinic that wasn't even that too big that I could use as an educational tool. And the Euromastics was the, the perfect um, species to do that. About hand size, they're very interactive. Uh, they don't bite, they're very handleable, and mm -hmm. they were easy to feed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, that for many, so many of the students that would come through uh, absolutely loved it. all the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts. <laughs> yeah. John Paul was definitely just the biggest hit every time. So oh, yeah. that was always uh, wonderful. The other thing too, people always ask about how we got the name and I forgot about that. Um, Pope John Paul died the day we got her. Oh no. So that's where he got his name from. Oh, we love it. Love <laughs> yeah. it. You know, I wanted to ask you, so why do you think Pet owners don't think to ask veterinarians before they purchase before purchasing a pet. Again, I understand it's you know it's most common to just go into a pet store and to ask an employee, but they don't think to really talking to an expert, a veterinarian. What would they? What would be the best place to start with getting a pet? Yeah, and I think that's a real complicated discussion. For most veterinarians, we don't learn exotic medicine in mm -hmm. our regular curriculum. It's something that people have to pursue because they're interested in it. Um, the other thing is I think people are embarrassed to call a veterinary clinic because they don't know something, because they don't want to call and, and admit that they really don't know about the creature that they're looking for. Um, I think a lot of people go into a pet store and, and, and purchase these creatures um, on an impulse buy. You know, the kids mm -hmm. are with them, mom, can we have a pet? And <laughs> yeah. they go ahead and do that. And that's difficult because once you get the pet, it's, it's backwards. You should be able to get the information first and then take care of the pet properly, not get the pet and then figure out that you can't take care of it right. properly. Oh, yeah. um, and I do think that most veterinarians are not comfortable with exotics in particular. Like I said, they don't get the training necessarily. So they either don't talk to folks that call their clinic or they don't have the expertise to talk to them when they do mm -hmm. call. Right. So unless we're lucky enough to have veterinary technicians that can help us out with that, it's, it's difficult for people. No, oh, very great. And so what are the most commonly overlooked problems people run into when they bring a new pet into their home? 
you know, yeah, one of these reptiles, birds, or these, you know, sure. these pocket pets. Yeah, as far as exotics are concerned, people don't understand that these guys don't live in the same environment that we do. And so their husbandry or how we keep them, their temperature, their humidity, their food, their uh, cage setups are different than your bedroom in a house. And if you have an animal that is a tropical pet and you put them in Chicago, Illinois, in the middle of Midwest winters, um, that's counterintuitive <laughs> of what, what the animal is, is done. Even though, you know, we buy these animals in the Midwest, their bodies are designed for, you know, 100 degrees and humid. So um, husbandry issues by far and above are the most common reason why we see problems. Um, people don't realize the expense to do all of that. It can cost anywhere from four to $600 to set yeah. up a yeah. tank. And people just don't understand that. They figure you're just going to throw it in a box somewhere and be done with it. And um, social interaction, you know, people are looking for pets because it's something they can cuddle with and play with and, and sit in front of TV and pet them. And, you know, um, a little hedgehog is just not a pettable type creature. <laughs> and um, that, and then the tegus, yeah, they, you know, they like to eat fingers. So that's just not, not something that we want to do. People don't realize that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, those are very good points. And so I uh, wanted to ask you, so my older, one of my older sons, okay, I have twin boys, but I also have two, two very small children as well. So, but my, one of my older sons wants a pet bird. He wants to, cause he wants to talk, he wants it to talk. He wants it in his room. He wants, you know, he wants to teach him how to do tricks, but how, but now I also have two small children okay that are still again that you know they still like to wake up at night okay and so how compatible would my son's ideal bird be in my house okay and so um you know. yeah there's a lot of um again a complicated question <laughs> yeah. um i think that people who have birds need to do a lot of research i usually encourage the kids to do some kind of an animal related pro program at school which is really helpful to help the teachers can help them um, do that. But um, all the species are different. You can have animal species that are citizens, which are your parrot family. And a lot of them will talk, but not all of them. So mm. people need to understand if they're getting them because they think it's cute that they're going to talk. It's a lot of work to train a bird to talk mm. and their vocal uh, abilities it's not always words that come out. Um, I always tell a story about one of the African gray parrots that I worked with many, many years ago, um, <laughs> learned how to make a sink drain noise and a beeper noise <laughs> long before it learned how to say any word. Nice. And it was really annoying to hear it squeaking gym shoe down the hallway. Uh, all the time. So yeah, and the other thing to realize is that birds in particular are designed to do preening and to do uh, eating and to do um, procreating. And what is preening? Uh, preening is, is they, they groom themselves. They, mm -hmm. they make their feathers beautiful. They, you know, <laughs> essentially yeah. wipe their own saliva on themselves and just make themselves beautiful, make their feathers sit bright. It's kind of like brushing your hair. Nice. And there's a certain amount of time that birds do this during the day. And they do this, birds are flock animals, and they will do this with other birds of the same species. Well, when you socialize, or I'm sorry, isolate a bird, the social skills or the social graces, if you will, mm -hmm. um, the birds lose that or they don't develop them in the first place. So sometimes they'll eat a lot and they end up getting uh, obese and they get health-related issues from that. Um, their preening or their, their feather care um, gets skewed and some of them will pluck all their feathers out and they go naked mm. ball. So um, by, by getting a bird, you really have to know what their habits are and what their normal husbandry is so that you don't start causing bad behaviors. 
Okay. What what kind of environment do do I need for uh, what we need for like a canary versus a cockatoo or a parrot? Yeah, and one of the things that I had thought about uh, many years ago, a fellow by the name of Dr. Harrison, again, was a pioneer in the avian world. And um, at, a, at a conference that I saw him, he had said, if we took you and gave you a uh, straitjacket, tied you up, put you on a chair, fed you a piece of ice cream, and that's it for your whole life, how would you feel? And those of us in the room were like, what are you getting at here? And his comment was, we take animals that are designed to fly horizontally in space. They fly from tree to tree or they fly across the world horizontally in space and we coop them up in a little teeny tiny cage. So any of the birds that you get, unless you allow them time to stretch their wings and fly around, that can be a problem for them. So obviously the cockatoos, which are giant birds, need a lot more space than a little canary, which um, is much smaller. But even in that sense, Canaries like to fly around too. And so do you have dogs? Do you have cats? Do you have people that leave windows open? Do you have ceiling fans? Those can all be treacherous for birds that are flying around the house. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. So, um, so again, my, my, so my boys, uh, obviously twins, um, what birds thrive in groups? So, cause my kids, my kids only want two of everything. So if right. they're going to get like an animal, like a bird, they want to get two of them. And I'm like, right. well, I, I don't know enough at this point in time to know which birds <laughs> would right. be, well, it'd be you know, good in groups together. Yeah. So you, again, birds are designed to be in flocks. So that's yeah. a good start. Yeah. The problem is if you get a little boy bird and a little girl, girl bird together, um, at some point in time, you may have lots of little birds. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, the smaller birds like your parakeets, even canaries like to canary. Only uh, male canaries will sing; the females don't. Mm-hmm. And so, if you you know have to look at something like that, but again, uh, breeding birds is a little bit of work too, and you can actually cause a lot of medical problems if you don't feed them correctly. So, mm-hmm. you have a way to get them sexed before you get them, so that two boys or two girls, so that you don't get babies, then that would work fine. Birds, um, love birds, for example, do much better in pairs. Okay. So it really depends on the bird, and I encourage people to do a little research before you purchase. Excellent. And so uh, can you talk to a little bit about how old birds can get and the type of, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the type of commitment that might be involved in getting a, a bird right. if, you know, because, of that, because of that? Right. So there's different ways to get birds. You can each, either get them when they're really young. You can get what they call hand-reared. In other words, they're hatched out at a – um, at the breeders institution and the breeder feeds them and cares for them and then you know sells them to owners prospective owners and then there's wild caught or uh, wild reared animals and basically what that means is a, um, a mommy and a daddy bird have the birds and the mommy takes care of the babies and when the babies are a certain age they take the babies away and give them as pets mm-hmm. so you know obviously the ones that are reared by humans are going to be much more handleable and mm-hmm. you know e- easily trained compared to the, the wild caught ones um, people were worried a number of years ago for the blue and gold macaws for example almost extinguished themselves because people were taking them in as pets but not realizing that the animals were bonding to their humans instead of other birds and they didn't know what they were supposed to do with another bird of the opposite sex and so they were not laying eggs because they didn't know they were supposed to do that and so without you know, laying more and more eggs, they were going to essentially extinguish the, the species. So, um, yeah, you just have to be careful with, with uh, the birds that you're going to get like that. 
Oh yeah. And how old, how old do they get? Oh yeah. Sorry. So the bigger birds, some of the large citizens, mm-hmm. um, they can go upwards of 80 or 90 years <laughs> old versus the young, the little ones like your parakeets, canaries and cockatiels usually in their teens. So if you're getting a bird pet for a, a young person, just remember you're going to have that bird around the house probably well after the time that your kids get disinterested and go off to high school. <laughs> so um, that'll, you know, it'll strap you. But like I said, the bigger birds, they're way more expensive, usually in the thousands, but they do last longer. Some people actually have to put them in their wills or get somebody oh, wow. to take care of them yeah. when they're older. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a long, that's a very committed relationship right absolutely. there. That is for sure. <laughs> absolutely. And so, all right. So we, we touched a little bit that Kelsey Animal Hospital has had some great lizard mascots uh, living at our practice. Um, first, we had John Paul. Well, we had some before that. Uh, but now we have Blackbeard, okay? Our bearded dragon. We get so many clients that love to comment on them and ask, you know, where to get one because, it, you know, it would look so cool in my living room. What do you say to people who are thinking about getting a reptile um, for their home or like what kind of environment is best for them? Yeah, so there's three general families of reptiles. You have your snakes, you have your lizards, and you have your turtles. And the first thing you do have to make sure you look at is there are laws against certain species, ownership of Mm. certain species, in particular snakes. So you do have to do some homework in that respect because you can actually end up in jail um, for owning, for example, a Russian tortoise or some of the snakes that the larger snakes um, will put you in jail as well. Oh, geez. The second thing is is that um, it's expensive to, to set up a cage properly. You need heating elements and lighting elements and humidity. And again, it can be anywhere from four to $600 to have that. Um, done. And again, you have to really know your species. That I, I can't stress that more is the kids should go to the library and get some books and the parents should go online and be careful where you get your information from, but um, get some background because, you know, you have to know the difference between an animal who is a desert creature versus a jungle creature versus rainforest. And all of that depends on how you're going to set your cage up. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, and speaking of like the snakes and so, uh, can you touch a little bit on what kind of food some of them eat only because again, with my wife, that's a game changer for her. Unfortunately, <laughs> she, she could not handle something like that. And that's why it's one of the, one of the big reasons why she says we will never have a snake. Right. And, and yeah, that's a very real um, thing when people figure out that snakes eat, most of the creatures that I've had in my <laughs> lifetime as pets at That's, home yes. are food, snake food. And so, um, yeah, we went through that. My daughter ended up with a ball python at our household. when We had guinea pigs. And so they were always separated by a full floor of the house. And so, um, yeah, you have to remember that, that snakes are considered carnivores. And so they eat uh, large, larger creatures, rats and mice. And some of them will even eat chickens or rabbits um, versus like the Euromastix, for example, is a granivore. They eat grain, they eat vegetables, um, they don't eat live prey at all. Um, and then uh, some of the smaller lizards might be what we call insectivores. In other words, they'll eat grasshoppers or crickets or mealworms. Nice. So those are a little easier to feed. Yeah. My wife still doesn't. Reason not big on the crickets though either. So yeah, no, they make and they when they get out of the out of the tank, they can be really annoying, running around the house screeching. Yeah, just they constantly making noise, constantly making noise. And so, um, and so, are there any other things um, for these uh, these reptiles to really? um, What do they? What do they need to like really, really thrive or anything like that? 
Yeah, you got to remember that they are living creatures just like anybody else. So again, their environment needs to match what their bodies are designed to do. So their space, their food, their temperature, their humidity, um, you know, it's different than ours. So we need to make sure they have plenty of space to run around. They can't be cooped up in a small little teeny tiny tank if they're going to reach um, you know, 16 or 18 inches long. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a rumor that used to go around a long time ago that if you keep the cage small, that you can stunt growth and keep them small. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. The animals will continue to grow and they'll just curl <laughs> up in a very small space. Um, you need to find out, you know, what kind of food that they eat. Uh, we had a client a number of years ago that was convinced that she was going to get a snake and make it into a vegetarian snake. Oh, wow. And we tried to convince her not to do that because snakes don't lend themselves to being vegetarian. Wow. So in order for that animal to thrive and survive, it needed to have the proper food. And uh, temperature and, and humidity are um, really, really, really important. And also light, uh, uh, UV light sources are really important in reptiles, much more so than any other species. So, or, or uh, yeah, species. So we just have to remember that as well. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, a bit of personal experience here. Again, uh, I'm not sure if you remember, but I did come to you when my children were wanting a pet. And I was thinking about a hamster, but you told me, you know what, go with the guinea pig a lot nicer uh, and kid friendly. Uh, Is that right? Is that uh, yeah, I, I, I always tell people when they ask me, you know, what kind of pet do I want to get? And remember, too, that um, the age of your kids is really important. Um, I know your kids, and now yes. they're, they're of age. Um, but the guinea pig was a perfect choice, by the way. Yeah, the perfect yeah, choice. <laughs> yeah. um, but children who are less than five or six years of age have the intention span of a doorknob. <laughs> so we have to be really, really, really careful is that these, again, are living creatures. And if we try to have an animal for a young, young, young child, um, basically the person who purchases that animal should be the, the main person who's going to take care of that animal. Um, I've had owners to purchase a small living creature for a child and the child either um, um, injures the pet, not on purpose, but because they're, they're not sure how to take care of an animal. Um, but anyway, I usually tell people that not until they're over five or six years of age and always, always, always have adult supervision when they're handling um, okay. those creatures. Things that move quickly, like your gerbils, your mice, your hamsters, they move quickly inside of a cage. They don't make real good pets for people who want to sit quietly in front of a TV. Mm-hmm. Versus the guinea pigs um, will sit very quietly for a very long time um, on your lap, on your chest, on your arm. Uh, guinea pigs generally are very tolerant. They don't bite versus some of the smaller hamsters and dagoos and uh, gerbils, they bite, and that's mm-hmm. not really comfortable. Um, rabbits are pretty good. They're for much larger children, so maybe kids who are, are 8 to 10 years of age. Um, the guinea pigs are smaller, so they're easier to handle. Oh, I mean, that's excellent. You're right. I mean, again, yeah. depending on the child's age, yes. I mean, that is extremely important information to be able to know what right. the age and what type of pet is going to be best for them at that age. So that's excellent. All right. right. Um, what, you know, again, as far as some of our, our pocket pets, you know, gerbils, hamsters, rabbits, things like that, what's, what kind of environment is best for, for those type of pets? Um, and, and again, depending on the species and um, where those animals uh, originate from. Mm-hmm. So most of them can be uh, kept in a cage. Most of them can be kept in, I shouldn't say that. The smaller the creature, you have to be careful of the cage that you're, you're putting them into because they're really good about getting out between cage bars. Yeah. So the smaller ones, your hamsters, your gerbils, your dagoos, they should probably be kept in a, an aquarium or a plastic uh, container of some kind mm-hmm. versus some of the larger ones like guinea pigs and rabbits can actually go into even chinchilla can probably go into a, 
a wire cage type of setup. Um, the little guys, they make um, plastic tubing uh, aquarium sets that you can get so the little guys can climb around in those kinds of things. Um, yeah, so it, it really depends on what the species is and where they're at. Guinea pigs, for example, and chinchilla are much more heat tolerant. Mm -hmm. um, they, I'm sorry, not heat tolerant. They, they tolerate the cold much better. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, a room that's not air conditioned, for example, in the summertime, both rabbits and guinea pigs and chinchillas um, can have a lot of trouble with heat prostration. So you have to be really, really careful with that. Versus something like a hamster or a gerbil, they're actually from desert type environment. So they handle heat much better than, than the others, the lagomorphs. Good deal. And so do you want to touch uh, on a little bit as far as some of these, like our, you know, hamsters or guinea pigs, uh, the importance of the type of feed and food that they need to get? Right. So again, it's, it's all species specific. Most mm -hmm. of them are granivores. I uh, shouldn't say that either. Guinea pigs, hamster, I'm sorry, uh, hamsters, gerbils are granivores. They'll eat any kind of like wheat or corn or little teeny tiny pieces of things. Um, I actually have people can even use non-sugar-coated, non-honey-coated cereals work real well for them. Versus some of the larger creatures like your guinea pigs, your chinchillas, and your rabbits are true herbivores and they eat a lot of uh, vegetables and hay. So um, that's really super important. Guinea pigs in particular and people are the only two creatures on earth and prim you know, primates in general that need vitamin C. And if you don't give them vitamin C, they'll get scurvy. And that's real important to understand versus the other pocket pets don't have that requirement. Absolutely. Um, and so, and, and which ones are all of them, the ones that their teeth constantly keep growing and that they um, need to, all of we, them, yeah. all of them. So they all need yeah. the, yeah, that the specific type of hay or. Yeah. Well, they're the, the word rodent in, in mm -hmm. Latin actually comes from the, the Latin word that means to gnaw. Mm -hmm. And so their teeth are constantly growing. They are not like us. They don't have baby teeth that turn into adult and then get <laughs> the adult teeth. Yeah. Um, so their teeth are constantly growing. And so if they don't have, vegetable matter to grind together like like a horse or a cow would um, if they don't have those surfaces to grind together on the roughage um, those teeth will overgrow and they get into lots of uh, dental problems or occlusion problems if the food is not correct good deal and so anything else you feel like that these uh, pets um, that that they need to, to really survive uh, thrive so, yeah, you have to just, again, be careful of the environment that you get for them. Um, chinchillas bounce. They are um, like little baby kangaroos. They bounce all over the place, and it's yeah. not unusual for them to actually bounce themselves out of their enclosures. Mm -hmm. So you do have to be really careful with um, making sure things are locked. I know if you own, for example, a snake, you want to make sure that the cages are locked, sometimes with a padlock, because they're really very good about getting themselves out and about once they're in your house. Um, it's not a good thing <laughs> around. They are rodents. They will destroy computer wires, telephone wires. Oh, so they need supervision 100% of the time. Nice. All right. So what is the one thing, all right, you want all potential pet owners to think about before, if there's one thing, uh, before yeah. getting any pet? Yeah, and I guess there's uh, just uh, not necessarily one thing, but I guess right. you need to have personal goals. You know, why are you getting this pet? Are you getting the pet because you want to have something different or do you want to get this pet because you think your kids might possibly, maybe possibly want something different, which they really don't know about yet anyway. And so you need to make sure that you're making a commitment um, to that pet to, the, to, to make sure that that pet has the best life it can. You are the caretaker of that pet. Once it's in a cage or in a, an enclosure of any kind, 
Um, it's relying on you for its food. It's relying on you for its care. It's relying on you if it gets sick. And if you don't really care or you really don't understand or you really haven't done your homework and understand um, the money that you've invested in that creature, that's not right. It's, it's what we call disposable pets, and that's just not a good way to be. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Dr. Elise, again, it has been so incredible to have you here talking with me today. Okay. I have been so blessed to work with you and I'm doing my best to continue your dream hospital while also making my own dream come true with Carol Shimanama Hospital. Uh, my goal is, is to just make a positive difference. All right. And to help people learn, grow and give their pets, obviously the best life. I am so grateful for your guidance. All right. Um, for everything that you have shared with me. Okay. On this journey, you're an amazing, amazing mentor. Okay. <laughs> I love you to pieces. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and you you've too. just been <laughs> such an amazing, obviously you've had such an amazing impact on my life. And so I am so thankful for you and I appreciate you so much being here Good. today. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate it too. It. And I'm really glad that somebody with your energy and your positivity has been able to take the torch. So I'm hoping that that's going to go way into the future. I appreciate it, Elise. When we get back, I will reveal my product of the week. Stick around. The Vet Bros Pet Education Charitable Fund is a 501c3 organization created by Dr. Mondrian Contreras. Dr. Contreras had twin boys early in his vet school education. He often had to study with his children, which led to their love for animals and desire to help educate others about pets. The Vet Bros Pet Education Charitable Fund stems from this love of animals and education. The Vet Bros Pet Education Charitable Fund's mission is to help educate children and young adults about how to best care for their pets and to help them fulfill their dreams of becoming veterinarians, animal advocates, and animal healthcare professionals. This organization helps provide scholarship money as well as educational seminars to help individuals realize their dreams. The Vet Pros Pet Education Charitable Fund also provides financial assistance towards healthcare for pets in families experiencing various hardships such as bankruptcy and unemployment or natural disasters such as flooding, tornado, or fire. Please visit our website, vetbrospeteducation.org, and consider making a donation to our cause. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But don't forget to make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are tuned in to Healthy Tales with Dr. Mondrian Contreras. We'd love to hear from you on our program today. Please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vetbrospeteducationcf at gmail.com. Now back to Healthy Tales. Welcome back to Healthy Tales. It's time for our product of the week. Cats. They are such unique creatures that, despite what it may sometimes seem, do require our attention. So many cat owners love cats because they are typically low maintenance, but cats require a good amount of attention. We're seeing an unprecedented number of cats suffering from obesity, feline lower urinary tract disease, and obsessive compulsive disorders, along with other behavioral issues, many times due to a lack of interaction with our feline pets. Most veterinarians recommend their cats be indoor, 
but we definitely also want them to have a lot of environmental enrichment. One of the most important things we want to provide our kitty cats with is an outlet for their natural behavior. This is so important to preventing undesirable behaviors. There are a number of things we can do to enrich our cat's environment. One idea is getting a scratching post. Scratching is a natural and instinctual behavior for cats, so providing them with a good outlet for this behavior is very important. Fresh water sounds like pretty common sense, but a lot of cats like to drink from running water, and we always want to encourage our pets to drink. When they drink, they also need to urinate, so providing multiple litter boxes for the cats is essential, as is having a litter box in an easily accessible but quiet area, meaning minimal foot traffic, is important. But to me, one of the most important ways to provide environmental enrichment for our pets is increasing play activity in our cats. That's why this episode's project of the week is the Mouse Hunt Cat Toy. Cats can have so much fun interacting with electronic cat toys. They allow them to stock and get out some of that much-needed hunting behavior that is in their DNA. These toys allow us to spend some quality time with our pets and provide them the opportunity to get the much-needed daily exercise that every cat should get. These toys allow them to stay fit by burning calories and getting essential mental stimulation. Playing with our cats for just 5 to 10 minutes a day can help prevent obesity, elimination problems, feline lower urinary tract disease, and other medical issues. Playing with our pets is also just a lot of fun. It's so hilarious to watch your cat chase this mouse, and it's even more fun to see it catch the mouse and take it down. Not all toys are great for every cat, but there are so many different types of toys for your cat on the market that they're bound to be interested in one. And buying toys for your cat is much better and less expensive investment than your cat becoming obese or suffering from other medical problems. So please take the time to interact with your cat maybe even invest in a cat toy or two, and help your kitty get the much-needed exercise he or she deserves. Thank you so much for joining us today. Special thanks to my amazing co-hosts, Elaine, Kyle, and Tim, and to my expert guest, Dr. Elise Sarabasi. I want to thank you, our amazing listeners, for your support, and please continue to give us feedback at vetbrospeteducationcf at gmail.com. Rate us on iTunes or download us on demand. We hope you join us for our next episode where we give you more great tips to help you unleash your pet parenting power. Thank you for listening to Healthy Tales. Please join your host, Dr. Mondrian Contreras, for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's wishing better health for you and your pet. 